Today's scripture tells us the story of Pentecost. Pentecost was and is a Jewish festival that happened in Jerusalem just a few weeks after Jesus was resurrected. In today's passage, Jesus' followers are waiting together there in Jerusalem to figure out what they're going to do next when suddenly inspiration strikes. Listen today and consider how God might be speaking to us in our own day and age. A reading from the book of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, a crowd gathered and was bewildered because each of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. Here ends the reading. Well, it's a gift to be preaching today, and I want to thank Mike and Carla for offering me the pulpit as they send their greetings along with all of our other friends on the Church and the Arts Tour in Italy right now. I know they're having a fabulous time. May we pray together. O oh God of Spirit and of Pentecost, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So happy Pentecost and happy Pride. It's a gift to be preaching today, especially during this first week of Pride Month. I love Pride Month and all of the ways that LGBTQ folk are centered and celebrated with extra joyous attitude to all sorts of events and activities. And this Pride is particularly special to me as it's the first I'm sharing with my partner, Mitch. And we're celebrating from a new home, an apartment we just moved into over in Roanoke Park. Those first weeks of living somewhere new always come with some sneaky surprises. For example, Mitch and I have been surprised by just how talkative we are when we're asleep. 
on more than one occasion, one of us has woken up the other babbling about something we're doing in our dream. And the last time it happened, we were having some silly conversation back and forth in our sleep till Mitch woke up and told me to shut it. My favorite quirk of living together, though, is this little game that his dog, well, now our dog, plays. Coco is a four-year-old French bulldog that's 27 pounds full of stubborn attitude and a desperate need to cuddle. She loves us and loves attention and hates when we leave, so she's created some weird game that she plays every time we, we were gone. Every time we come home, some of our shoes have been mysteriously snuck from the shoe rack by the door to another place in our apartment. Who knows what's going on in her little brain, but I caught Coco in the act a couple weeks ago. As I was getting ready to leave, I ran back to the bathroom and Coco must have thought I already left because when I went back into the living room to go out the front door, she was red-handed with the tennis shoe in her mouth and a rut-row look of being figured out. It didn't stop her, though. Everyday shoes are still snuck around. She usually lays them by the laundry machine in the back door. My hunch is that she thinks if she gets the right shoe to the right place, she'll summon summon us home a little bit quicker, but it never works. Whatever she's built up in her mind that's behind the shoe shuffling game, it's not getting her anywhere. In preparing for today's Pentecost sermon, I was reminded of another story about someone who builds something up that doesn't get them anywhere. Were the tower to be laid across the plain of Shinar, it would be a two-day's journey to walk from one end to the other. When the tower stands, it takes a full month and a half to climb from its base to its summit. This is how author Ted Chang introduces a short story that's sort of a fantasy fan fiction about the Tower of Babel. The original story about the Tower of Babel is from Genesis and takes place in this mythical moment in which humanity is one people with one language. In their unity, they set out to build a tall tower to literally reach up to God in heaven. Chang imagines what this tower might have actually been like within the physics of the ancient worldview. A flat earth with a heaven high up above, some mysterious substance and surface itself. His story follows a man named Hillelum, an Elamite and a miner. The tower has been fully built up enough that it reaches the vault of heaven, heaven, and Hillelum and other miners have been tasked to travel to the top to mine the mystery of heaven above. They make the long journey up before spending months tunneling with axe and pick through the marble-like texture of the heavenly vault. And eventually, Hillelum is left alone in a space too small for anyone to follow, when he's swept up in some flow of water that drops him off in a strange cave. He stumbles his way out of the cave into a sun-blazed desert and thinks somehow heaven must look just like earth. But then he spots some figures out in the distance and coming closer, sees that they're people in recognizable clothes. He starts to get nervous and asks, where am I? And they tell him he's in the region right next to the one where the Tower of Babel had been built. Somehow the vault of heaven lay beneath the earth, and Hillelum's journey had taken him right back to where he began. 
Now, this story is quite a bit different from the account in Genesis. In that one, God destroys the tower and confuses humanity, scattering their speech into various languages that keeps them from attempting such an ambitious project again. In comparison, Chang's story is a little anticlimactic. Hillelum is left alone, confused, unsteady with awe as he begins to walk back to the tower base. Centuries of labor would not reveal any more of creation than we already knew, he realizes, as he sets out to tell others about the true shape of the world. In some sense, though, both of these Babel stories say something similar. When we try to reach up to heaven with our hard work alone, we won't get anywhere. We'll just find ourselves confused and right back where we started. The story of Babel has been retold in other ways too, including in our scripture this morning, which perhaps is more of a transformation than a retelling of Babel. Here in Acts, God undoes what was done at Babel, but instead of giving humanity one common language, God's spirit surfaces from across the spectrum of speech during the Pentecost festival. And so God does a new thing creating and emerging a unity that doesn't erase or ignore each difference in dialect. The Jewish festival of Pentecost was one for which people from all over the place, just like Acts listed, would be gathered together in Jerusalem. The holiday both recognizes the first fruits of the wheat harvest and it retells the story of Mount Sinai, where Moses was given the Ten Commandments in a direct encounter with God. Here in Acts, Pentecost happens just a few weeks after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, and his followers are anxious, waiting to figure out what to do next, when suddenly God speaks again, just like at Sinai. Those gathered in one place were struck with inspiration, with the vision of what God's kingdom looks like on earth, and they couldn't shut up. But more than just babble, their words were brimming with God's own spirit and transcended difference and dialect. What happened at Babel had but been here reversed, redeemed, and people realized how God is bigger than one and bigger and more united than one language could properly describe. For us, Pentecost asks us how we might hear God's spirit in our own world. What words might be emerging around us that themselves are whispers from God? Now, it can be challenging to consider God talking to us in today's world. Many of us have more questions than answers about who or what God might be, and listening to God sounds like it might, might lead us into lunacy, but for many people, a personal relationship with God is a real part of their day-to-day -day life. One anthropologist was curious about this idea of a personal relationship with God and set out on a study that became a book. When God Talks Back comes from Stanford anthropologist T.M. Lerman's years of studying different churches and their worship and small groups and prayer gatherings and more. She sought an anthropological approach to think about how or think about people who talk about talking to God. By the end of her study, she was shocked with the power of people's spiritual lives. 
Lerman admits her differences and disagreements with much of the underlying philosophy and politics within the Christianity she studied, but she sees something real throughout the way the people she met with thought and talked about God. She concludes with one factor that really shapes the way the individual experiences God, that is, the real presence of the divine. She says, I do not presume to know ultimate reality or think of myself as believing in God who sits out there as real as a doorpost, but I have experienced what I believe the Gospels mean by joy. I've watched people cry in services, and eventually I would cry in services too. And it seemed to me that I cried the way I sometimes wink back tears at children's books, at the promise of simple joy in a messy world. Lerman concludes that many of these Christians who talk to God have serious doubts about their belief, even if it's not something they openly discuss. But they are willing to play and imagine who or what God might be in their daily lives. More than make-believe, this is about how what is is always shrouded in mystery, as Lerman notes. But this mystery can be actively engaged with, and such spiritual imagination can transform and create for us simple joy in a messy world. We don't have to believe that God is going to audibly whisper some words into our ears to think seriously about a God who is still speaking today. I think it's Richard Rohr who says that God is reality with personality. And the more we pay attention to the personality of the reality we live in, the more we realize just how playful and sneaky and alive God's spirit really is. Pentecost invites us into sacred play. In our Acts story, the followers of Jesus are waiting with eager expectation for what they're supposed to do next. The tomb is empty, and the mystery it leaves leads more questions than it does answers. But the early Jesus followers were not passive in their response. They remained together in one place until they're inspired with new dreams and daring visions through which they can imagine how God is inviting them to reshape and transform the world. There's something significant in how Peter responds when he and his friends are accused of being drunk at some inappropriate hour of the morning. He quotes from a prophet in which God promises to pour out God's spirit on all flesh. And the passage names how God will be present within all genders, all ages, even all classes of people. The early Jesus followers took this promise seriously And throughout Acts, there are stories of how early Christian communities reimagined and reshaped society from the inside out. People would give up everything they owned to guarantee that everyone had enough. And together, the early Christians actively resisted the Roman Empire and its stratification of gender and class. Together, they did something new as God's spirit emerged from within them. We still live in a stratified, fractured, and fragmented world that's full of dangerous division that spans deep disagreement to outright violence and disregard for others' lives. How could we come alive in our own world today and like those first generation of Christians sense God's spirit emerging from across the spectrum of people? More than just cliche or babble, how can we hear God speaking to us in ways that transform us and inspire us to do things differently.
I sense God speaking through the spirit of pride. Each June is full of celebration and joy, but colorful parties have not always been pride's centerpiece. Pride Month emerged from riots and demonstrations that happened in June 1969 to protest the overwhelming police violence that was happening at the scarce safe spaces that LGBTQ people had at that time. Over 50 years later, Pride is more than a feel-good month of fun, although it is a lot of fun. It's also a reminder of the work that's required to change the world into a safer and more inclusive space for all people. And to me, I sense God's spirit and that call to both celebrate and continue transforming the world as LGBTQ people are still far from being safe and fully embraced everywhere we go. I sense God speaking too through the grief that's going through our communities right now in the wake of rampant gun violence. Last week, Carla and I met with a few dozen other clergy here in Kansas City that were calling for reform, for prayers with our hands and our actions and not just our thoughts. In response to the tragic killings in Uvalde, Buffalo, and so many other places before and since those shootings. Enough is enough, one pastor said, before actually mentioning the story of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis, God notes that when humanity is united, nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Perhaps God's Spirit is emerging now, inviting us to come together to tackle the impossible, to do things differently so that everyone can be kept out of harm's way. I sense God speaking too in so many ways through which we're invited to do things differently and create joy in a messy world. And the anxious hope of parents who this summer are celebrating their graduated seniors who are about to ship off to exciting new chapters. And the committed caretaking adult children offer their aging parents. And in all of the varied visions and daunting dreams of creating something new in our messy and chaotic world, I sense God speaking. In Pentecost, God's Spirit sings new harmonies from across the spectrum of human being. God does not give some single uniformity through which we can reach up high into heaven on our own. Instead, God's unity in heaven itself emerges from here on the ground as life bubbles up in the collective dreaming and visioning of God's people. This new life, this new vision is confusing, though. It's confounding. The witnesses in the Pentecost story were puzzled and did not know what to make of what they saw. And I have a hunch that those early Jesus followers were themselves shocked at the babbling speech bursting forth from their mouth. But Pentecost shows us that the way God speaks doesn't always make immediate sense. And it may not always make us feel good. The spirit is not about sentimentality, but rather about transformation. These past two years have transformed us and have torn down so many of the towers and pillars on which we put up our lives. It's been tempting to reconstruct what we can, doing something to make ourselves feel better, but I think we're learning that the towers of our own effort are precarious places on which to build our lives. We're confused and scared of what to do that's new, that's not relying on how we once built up everything. But we have all changed over the past couple years and so much our structures and systems for life and society. 
instead of pretending that we're all okay and that our tried and true towers of how we once lived will eventually be back in good order, how might the Spirit be inviting us to do something new and to be transformed? What new thing is God doing among us right now? How will we imagine and dream and play out our visions for how the world can be as God is whispering them to us in each moment? My friend Amy, who I mentioned while preaching last month, had her baby a couple of weeks ago. Micah was born on May 20th, and when I met him a few days later, I witnessed that quote that Catherine just offered, that every newborn is God's opinion that the world should go on. Little Micah is learning to babble himself right now, and his voice sounds like God's. A few days ago, Mitch and I dropped off some homemade lasagna for Amy and her wife Carly, and Amy shared about how surreal and confusing these first few weeks of motherhood have been. She had a rough delivery and for a moment thought Micah may not make it, but now he's home and healthy and they're both healing. And she's thankful but a bit confused about everything that's still rattling through her mind, body, and spirit. But I sense God speaking in her resolve along with little Micah's babbling. It's a scary and overwhelming world as we're each reminded every day, but choosing to parent new life is a confounding commitment. The willingness to do so promises simple joy in the mess of our world. And in parents like Amy and Carly and the deepening devotion to the life they've delivered into the world, I hear the harmony of a God who will always do the same for us, choosing us and parenting us and pouring out her spirit on us so that we might catch her vision and become alive. Amen.